Hello and welcome to Opeka's Innovation and Care Collaboration podcast series. My name is Ken McGill. I'm a solution-focused care senior scientist here at Opeka. And at Opeka, we believe in health equity for all. And that phrase is empowered with advocacy. And each one of us needs to fulfill that advocacy role for those that we serve. Today's show has been titled, Embedding Advocacy in Our Work, Supporting Equity for All Every Day. And my guest is Valerie Hicks, the Executive Director of Specialized Alternatives for Families and Youth in the state of Nevada. And she, will, she and I will share ideas and she will provide us with information that she's doing, concrete information supporting her workforce and making sure that they're advocates for the children, youth, and families that they serve. I particularly liked what I got off their website around SAFI or Specialized Alternatives for Families and Youth shines a light on teens experiencing foster care because their dreams, ambitions, talents, and goals matter. So thank you for joining us today and listening to this amazing interchange of information and especially having Valerie Hicks as our guest. want to welcome everyone. Um, we actually have an amazing uh, podcast today where today's show is embedding advocacy in our work, supporting equity for all every day. I had the privilege to having uh, Valerie Hicks, uh, Executive Director for the Specialized Alternative for Families and Youth of Nevada or SAFI. And uh, Valerie, we were on a a webinar not that long ago, and you were talking about the the need for all of us to advocate in our positions um, in helping children, youth, and families, especially around empowerment. So I want to thank you for um, for uh, uh, giving up your time and and chatting with me about uh, how you're doing things uh, at SAFI. And uh, if I can, there's a great quote on your um, your website, and it says, Specialized Alternative for Families and Youth, SAFI, shines a light on teens experiencing foster care because their dreams, ambitions, ambitions, talents, and goals matter. And so love to hear what you're doing at SAFI with regards to um, creating a climate and a culture for uh, advocacy. Sure. Thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity, Ken, to talk about something that I think is so pivotal to the work that we do in social work. Advocacy is at the heart of all that we are trying to accomplish for our families and, in fact, trying to teach them how to advocate for themselves as they continue on in their lives. But for us, so many of the children that we um, happen to place are disproportionately children of color. And so we know that all of the kind of systemic um, issues that impact every other element of our life, health, education, all of those things certainly also impact our child welfare system. And so we cannot assume that all systems are going to play out equally, fairly, without us paying 
special attention and being intentional about coming to the tables and the spaces that we're in and speaking to the needs of those children who are relying on us. They don't have voice. Yes. Many times their parents, their biological family members do not feel as if they have voice. So it becomes incumbent upon those of us who are charged with their care to not only give voice to those things that are left unsaid, but also to teach our consumers how to give voice to their own needs. For me, it starts with teaching my own staff how to have those kinds of conversations. They're not easy conversations, but one of the things that we do is start with training people on how to have those hard conversations because it's the um, discussion and the, the, the realization that certain things are occurring that allows us to look at them. If mm -hmm. we don't acknowledge that racism does play a part. That's right. Does sexism does play a part? Does gender um, inequality play a part in the systemic experiences that our consumers have? And in turn, do those systemic experiences play out in their both coming into the child welfare system? Mm -hmm. Maybe their family's not receiving as many services while they're in the child welfare system that child staying in the welfare system longer and a greater child uh, greater um, chance that they will experience recidivism and find themselves back in the system Absolutely. and so we have to look at the things that are nuanced but so important in articulating the treatment that can work for our children because when we leave culture out and we leave advocacy out we're not necessarily operating from a place of strength mm -hmm. and we want to be able to empower those who sit in our spaces those who sit at our tables with the skills to be able to advocate for the things that they most need to live a happy productive life absolutely you actually operationalize what we really need to have as being culturally competent culturally responsive and um, and and it sounds like you you've been doing this uh, as a leader and in creating this this space um, and I believe you called it a welcome space uh, with regards to um, providing a safe opportunity for people to share because these conversations aren't easy but they are certainly absolutely necessary um, and and so this is done with with at the administrative level right down to the direct line staff. Yes. So, for example, um, prior to all the social justice issues that were happening in our world that we that kind of opened the, the, the eyes of the world to the situations that were happening in community of color, we knew at Safi of Nevada that those same dynamics were playing into the care that our families did or did not receive. But I also realized that I have a young staff and they may not know that which they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I found it incumbent to help my own managers understand what does disproportionality look like in the respective spaces that our families find themselves? What does disproportionality look like in child welfare? What does it look like in education? What does it look like in health care? What does it look like in mental health care? And so I initially started with our managers reading a book by um, Ryan Stevenson entitled Just Mercy. 
And that book really highlights the inequities in the justice system that are experienced by members of people of color. And the book was written about experiences that happened to people in the 80s and 90s in the South. If you read the stories, you would imagine, and, and many of our young people would think, that those things happened in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Yes. But they didn't. They had men on death row with absolute um, uh, information that showed that they were innocent, but nobody wanted to listen. And so it became okay to both continue to railroad these men on death row and keep them there. So that's what disproportionality can look like in the justice system. As we went through our own presentations to my managers, to ourselves about different areas and systems and that, it then began to open their eyes as to the disproportionality of situations that they experienced at the tables they sat at. So we go to meetings in the community on behalf of our children, but it's incumbent that we sit at those tables in those meetings and think about what's being said as it pertains to a person of color. Absolutely. And so if you are a person of color, then you have to be charged with speaking up. Mm -hmm. But it should not be left to only those clinicians and those workers who are of color. It is the responsibility of any of us who sit in that space that, it, that we are saying we are here and charged to help children, help families, to understand the totality of their situations. And then we have to speak to that. So if I'm a black person, I've got to speak to that. If I'm a Hispanic person, I have to speak to that. If I'm an LBGTQI person, I have to speak to that. If I'm not a person of that community, but I'm charged with caring for a person of that community, I have a responsibility to speak to that. And so that's where the advocacy comes in and teaching my staff not only to recognize those elements of disproportionality, but also to teach them the skills so that they could effectively advocate. And, and that's the, it's never a one and done. It's always about building, uh, building a climate, a culture, and adding the responsibility. I love also that you talked and 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 gave a, um, a, a history lesson because people think that this occurred and is 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 over. When we look at the Civil Rights Act of 1964, we're talking about a year before I was born. Um, and I don't think of myself as too ancient unless I'm um, using some sort of brand new technology, but that's a whole nother story. But when we look at the fact that this is a, um, a, um, a, a very current and it wasn't that long ago need and, a, and, and, and something to be worked on every single day of our lives, that provides, I think, the catalyst for making it real, that, it, that it's not over. And again, when, when a law is created and enacted, does not mean that that's a complete wipe, uh, you know, a wipe away of all the different transgressions and the larger society. So when people hear about social determinants of health, and you just mentioned, we need to be aware of this in advocates when we're working with child welfare, but also education and any other system that is attached to that child, youth, and family. So thank you. That's that's the most needed part of it. Um, and and I, I think in terms of the managers that I've met, and, and it's uh, Christy and Melinda, who were the two that uh, were on the webinar with us, um, they they uh, walk the walk plus talk the talk. They're, they, they are truly 
individuals who are um, taking their their uh, their charter very seriously, and um, they're they really are um, putting it to the uh, to the test as as servant leaders. Um, is there anything with regards to um, below, I guess, the supervisory level? Is there anything that that helps the direct line staff who might not feel like they can make a difference um, in in the life of those children and families that you serve? Well, I think it it comes from having meaningful supervision with our staff. Um, certainly, there is administrative supervision. It's what box do you check? You know, did you sign your name on the right documentation? Mm-hmm. That's important. But equally important, if not more important, is the quality and the content of the relationships that we're building with our consumers. And so our supervisors are charged with looking for ways in which our staff can better align and engage with our consumers or pointing out some things that maybe they see that are um, creating less of an alignment, maybe more of a disconnect. And so it's through their understanding and their cultural lens that allows them to ask the right questions of the direct service staff. And when they start asking those questions and they ask those questions with uh, humanity and with curiosity, they're modeling for their supervisees how to conduct conversations in that kind of space. We have a policy that there is no stupid answer or question. There is no stupid or dumb response. We are all just walking through this journey of life together trying to learn. Mm-hmm. And so that's the mantra and that's the the vision that my managers have when we're interacting with my colleagues. We try to decorate our space in such a way that it shows through the the environment that our workers are in, that we respect people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. When you walk into our space, you will see references to uh, and symbols and emblems of respect for the LBGTQI community. You will see that for men, because a, another group that gets marginalized in, in the child welfare system are men. Yes. So how do we work with dads in a more effective way? And we do provide some information on that and training on their value to the family, regardless of whether they are married or not. Mm-hmm. And so it's continuing to have those kinds of conversations, asking who was at the table. If we are having county meetings, CFT meetings, who else was at the table? Did those people look like the consumers? Yes. Did, did you feel that they were appropriate and connected to the strengths that this family and this child may have. And I know those kinds of things happen when my staff come to me and share the experiences that they've had. And more importantly, when we see positive outcomes happen for children and we see that they will take that extra step because now they understand that, you know what, maybe this youth didn't get put out of school because he's so bad. Maybe he got put out of school because someone did not understand and had a bias about children That's of right. color right. and projected that bias onto their response to a child's distress in a classroom. And you have actually, you know, with, with the webinar we just had, the trauma lens and that shift versus what is wrong with you versus and, and then shifting it over to what has happened to you. And we think about 
uh, men of color, young men of color, and, and the disproportionality of those who are in um, detention centers and, and in uh, in jails and prisons, and and then being in a field, a human services field, where the majority of of um, clinicians are are uh, women, and um, and if they're uh, not people of color, then in terms of being uh, uh, more uh, representative of the the uh, those that we serve, and especially with this within the states and the systems in which we work, and uh, the representation of of all the fields. In addition to, we'll have another conversation, I guess, about the um, um, discrepancies in in pay amongst the different uh, uh, um, genders, and and also the the um, uh, the the just the disparities of of uh, uh, people of color versus uh, um, people of 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 outside the, the, uh, um, the racial spectrum, but I think the biggest thing that I found um, is that when I when I talk to you and have had conversations with you before, is that these conversations need to be had. It's sometimes uncomfortable. We do work with um, and we bring our cultural lenses with us, and the more that we become aware of that, and the more that we know that this is. Um, something a good conversation to have you shared with a, a with me a book um and i believe it's the uh an unapologetic guide to oh my goodness i wrote to it black down mental it, health. to black mental health to black mental health and i think that's the most important thing when we think of this is something that's not new that needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed with conversations in a, in a welcoming space because if we don't have them the disconnect becomes that we know everything there is to know about a certain culture, which is the really the opposite of being culturally responsive. That's so that's so right, Ken. Um, the the scenario that I was describing from that book was one mm -hmm. in which there was a white clinician. She had a black uh, consumer that she thought she had a great relationship with clinically. Mm -hmm. And something happened in that consumer's black community that led the white clinician in that particular session to speak to it, to actually say, how is what's happening on the news impacting you? And when the clinician posed that question to her client, there was just this outpouring of information, of feeling um, that the clinician had been totally aware, unaware of. The clinician who thought she had this great working relationship automatically realized I've been operating at a deficit. I've only been operating at surface level things mm -hmm. that I have asked of my client. Mm -hmm. But there's this undercurrent of experience that's impacting the mental health of my client that I was totally unaware of. And in becoming aware of it, that meant that now I'm going to go in and ask some of those ask some of those hard questions that prior, previously maybe I as the clinician felt uncomfortable asking. Um, so I didn't. And I was satisfied with the course of treatment as it was. But when we see that so many communities of color don't want to engage in mental health, it's because they are not encouraged or supported in bringing their authentic full experience to that therapeutic relationship. They're left in a position where they bring as much as the clinician feels comfortable hearing. Mm -hmm. And it should never be in the space, it should never be the responsibility 
of the consumer to have to take care of the clinician. No. But in fact, so many times, that's what's happening. So it's not that only Black people can work with Black people and only white people can work with white people. What it does mean is that we have to have a, a respect for the humanity that that uh, evolves from our various uh, experiences. And that out of that respect, we don't make assumptions, we ask questions. There we go. And from those questions, we learn. And when we take that learning and we apply. That is beautifully said. And I was just going to say, that's probably the, the, the parallel of the supervision that's being offered at SAFI so that the relationships that you're building with the staff modeling and then take that uh, directly to the um, to the clients being served. You mentioned that. So you just can't check a box off saying we had one conversation. It needs to be built in. It needs to have those those phases of of uh, of implementation. Uh, I absolutely um, can appreciate that being a former um, uh, director of a care manager organization where you look at some of the younger staff and supervision is usually what did you do wrong and and keep with deadlines versus the real essence of supervision is to teach, to model, and to uh, help uh, to better connect them with those that uh, that are being served. Exactly, exactly. And so I feel like that is where um, my supervisors, my management team shines, because they have an unyielding curiosity about everything. They take very little at face value. They don't assume that they're the expert in anything. They assume that they are the lifelong learners and they respect the fact that the consumers have allowed them into this space. We're not here to tell you something. We're here to learn together. I've got some tools. You've got some tools. Let's see if we can get some understanding about that and come out with a better um, uh, outcome for you. Oh, that is fantastic. And I can't, um, uh, I, I would definitely be remiss if I didn't say that if you are interested in working with SAFI or for SAFI, or you wish to donate uh, either time, money, or learn more about it, www.safy.org. That's safi.org. And I think that would be an opportunity if you really want to learn more uh, about the work being done. Now, SAFI is, is a, uh, is an organization that's across the country, and you serve uh, children, youth, and families, emerging adults as well. And in particular, you support those children, youth who are in foster care and recognizing there are over a half a million children and youth throughout the country that are in foster care. Um, have you found that the, the, uh, <laughs> well, the pandemic didn't make things easier, I'm sure, but the, um, um, the work that you've done pre-pandemic uh, um, has really helped your staff weather, um, sorry about the pun, but weather the storm that we've experienced with regards to this, this thing that's almost never ending? It absolutely did. And I'm uh, going to have to hold for just one second while I plug something in. Okay. Second. And while you're doing that, I want to remind folks is that um, if you are interested in learning more about SAFI, especially becoming a foster parent, uh, we have people who are tuning into these podcasts uh, from all over the, uh, the globe. And if you are interested in learning just about what steps you need to take to become a foster parent, 
I, the website's uh, really easy to navigate. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the, the best websites that I've been on in a, in a very long time. And looking at our time, I'm just wondering if we can maybe uh, with a with a, um, a, a, a kind of a takeaway, if someone's a, a supervisor or director and there was something that they could do, uh, what, what bit of advice would you give um, or to a direct line staff worker, which I think is their heroes just as much as uh, um, you are in your position? I, I think certainly we want to come into the relationships from a place of humility. We want to come from a place of empathy and a place of curiosity. Oh. And if we mix those elements together in the relationships and the questions that we ask, I think we can engage our community, our, our community of clients, if you will, mm -hmm. to, to want to work with us because they see that we see the best in them. I'm not hoping that biological parents fail. I'm hoping that I'm rooting for them every day. Oh. I'm rooting for the successes of our foster parents. I'm rooting for the successes of my staff. And I think that if you treat people well, just one of the, the, the mantras of our office is be kind. Be kind to people. We are all under a lot of stress. And that has been exemplified as we looked at the pandemic and the social justice issues. Yes. So we give ourselves grace. And in giving, when I give my team grace, they're able to give the foster parents grace. They're able to give the children grace. Oh. We give our biological families grace. We understand that we are all here in a space and time, and we need to respect each other in that space and time. Wow. I absolutely love it. Humility, empathy, and curiosity. Now, Valerie, we've had a, a couple of conversations uh, in preparation for the webinar learn more about what the uh, the amazing work that's being done with uh, by SAFI uh, across the country, uh, because at Opeka, uh, SAFI is one of our most amazing uh, um, uh, clients. And uh, actually, I, I the last conversation I had, I have to give full credit to a recent blog that I created, Hierarchy of Understandings. Um, I, with the conversations and the focus being on past, present and future and the impact of of uh, social determinants of health adverse childhood experiences and that wonderful uh, nmt uh, program the trauma-informed platform that you're using with dr bruce perry uh and the larger community uh, i just wanted to give full credit that that's where the um the writing came from um and the, the inspiration around hierarchies of understanding that we really need to take the entire uh, picture of that individual's life, uh, what they're coming from, where they're coming from, what experiences, uh, their culture, their ethnicity, their race, everything about them should be taken in to complete a whole person care. So I just want to say thank you um, for that. Uh, it was very inspiring. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed the conversations and I look forward to more conversations. Um, I think that's how we learn. And I certainly, even at my age, Ken, I'm a little older than you. I still want to learn. And so I think that's where that's where the, the real fun happens and the magic happens is when we all join together. Absolutely. And we always say we started when we were very, very young at this uh, this job and so <laughs> forth. So it's it's absolutely been a, a wonderful honor and privilege. And if you want to learn more about SAFI or reaching out 
to Valerie and her team. Um, Valerie's based out of uh, the state of uh, Nevada, but uh, Safi itself is across the uh, the country. And, and Valerie, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. This is uh, this is not a, a, an easy time to get things done. Working with the uh, um, workforce shortage and the impact um, on the worldwide pandemic on on everyone. But if we all keep with humility, empathy, and curiosity and work at an agency that, that values the work and values those who, uh, those individuals that we serve and families, um, I can't think of a better way to be successful. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Ken, so much. All right. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Innovation and Care Collaboration Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or Google, and join us each week as we invite in thought leaders in health and human services to discuss the latest trends in healthcare and technology.